There's a fortnight left to get your early bird ticket for our upcoming retail media conference, Remade. Our early bird discount expires at the end of the month, so head to remade.net.au to secure. So head to remade.net.au to secure your ticket now. Start the week with Unmade, setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, Matilda's mania. Is the uplift in Tassie tourism because of the ads? And is outdoor company QMS in play? Unmade. It's Monday, August the 14th. I'm A Beauty and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. I'm talking very close to the microphone and very gently to try and save what remains of my voice, which was last seen at... Olympic Park, shouting at the big screen as the Matildas went through before I went into the stadium and then watched England see off the Colombians. So it was a a big day, but I'm afraid it's left me a broken man. Oh, dear. And uh, Sedja, hello. It was a different voice I heard this morning. How are you? How is your voice? (laughs) It's excellent. Uh, And so is my weekend. I, on Saturday night, got tickets to go to the Sydney Symphony Orchestra with a friend and we saw Diana Ross perform Ross Edwards. It was really brilliant. And there's something about an orchestra, isn't there, just so dynamic and lush and just so enveloping, wouldn't you say? Well, it was even more spectacular because literally just a few moments before the orchestra was set to begin, the Matildas had won against France. The entire, entire auditorium just erupted into the entire concert hall was just cheering and yelling. And it was such an incredible moment of unity. And Abe, we'll, we'll come to your weekend a little bit later in the podcast because there's a relevant moment to do so. But where, where shall we start this week? Well, let's start with that, the game that everyone's talking about, Australia v France on Saturday night. Tim, let's talk it through a media and marketing perspective. What were the ratings like? Well, truth of the matter is we may never know exactly. You know, as I say, if you, you know, the, my example where I was in Cathy Freeman Park, at Olympic Park, uh, I reckon I was in a crowd of at least 30,000 people. We were all watching the Optus stream. So that counts as one stream. Um, so the, the, and if you think about people in pubs all around the country, in opera houses, in Sydney anyway, not necessarily all around the country, then, um, uh, you know, pe- people with out-of-home viewing aren't, aren't captured in the Austin rating system. So th- that's the caveat to the numbers I'm about to share. Um, the reach of the match was 7.2 million. So that's sort of within the, with, w- within the kind of the traditional broadcast rating system. Um, and that averaged across the night, 4.17 million which which makes it easily the biggest rating sports show of at least the last decade maybe since uh, the Sydney Olympics and um easily the number one streaming event in Australia with um seven saying that on seven plus 472,000 streams and um 
whatever optus who have the main rights did they they don't share their numbers but they they did say that it was their biggest non-exclusive stream ever and their third biggest stream of all time so so some huge numbers so it it, it wouldn't surprise me if we were knocking on the door of 10 million australians watching on uh, on saturday night seven must look like geniuses though for getting the rights so cheaply look i I think the main thing that can be James Warburton, the CEO of Seven, can be accused of is being a lucky CEO. He got all of his bad luck out of the way a decade ago when he was in charge of Channel 10. Um, he inherited Seven, oh gosh, about three years back, just before the pandemic, uh, with terrible debt problems. The pandemic came along and gave him the chance to restack all of his costs and you know, save the company from teetering on problems with paying back its debt and now this comes along um but no they're not geniuses they did not expect this themselves there was no one at seven who was predicting this sort of phenomenon they got very lucky the um the australian are um predicting that uh, or are suggesting that uh seven only paid something like maybe um four million dollars to um to sub-license the rights from Optus, who were the main rights holders. Um, now, the other thing to bear in mind around this is that um, they jointly sold the advertising rights. So it's not necessarily the case. I don't, I, you know, there, there hasn't been transparency on how the, 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 the arrangements for the selling of the ads and how the revenue is split actually was settled. But, um, so it's it's not necessarily the case that um, Seven made as much as you might think from the uh, from the advertising. I I suspect that as well as that reported four million, there might well have been an agreed sort of share of the advertising going to Optus as well. So um, so yeah, but you know, I guess what Seven has credit for is having the relationship with Optus that they were the ones that uh, Optus chose to partner with. So what does this all mean and what does it look like for the next set of, of men's rights? Yeah, that's coming up and you, you kind of expect why. So over in The Age in the Sydney Morning Herald today, they're reporting that um, FIFA um, are ready to start talking this week while they're in Australia to the networks about the rights for the Men's World Cup, which is 2026, so three years away. Um you know that uh, the rights for that have, have traditionally had a far greater premium um, than the women's game, which again came pretty cheap. You know, not in the future, I suspect. Um, but yeah, you know, you've, you you you'll definitely see a greater interest, probably greater competition to certainly the likes of Optus, but for the Australia men's games, which are protected in the anti-siphoning, that means a free-to-air battle, which SBS has usually gone for. They've, you know, been the the long-term supporter of of, um, of soccer or football, whereas um, Ten and Paramount have come in on A-League more recently. So, um, so, yeah, I think we'll see a real battle for those rights. And, and it does make sense, you would have thought, if for 10 to bid because it kind of as you say they've had the a league it it would make sense for them to have the jewel and the crown but what are the chances of that on, on this is the question without notice what are the chances of them bidding and winning on the men's rights do you think i think what they what they do have is the track record of supporting the sport you know they 
they know it they've been supporting it both through paramount plus and um streaming the air league the downside is they they have struggled to deliver big audiences now whether that's a 10 thing or an australian soccer thing Mm. um i don't think we can really know unless it pops up somewhere else but um it sort of feels like if there's any justice then it should be paramount who gets it next tazzy tourism on the up Next, we turn to today's Australian. They've been talking to Tourism Tasmania's Chief Marketing Officer, Lindine Cleary. The Come Down for Air campaign by BMF is being credited with some big visitor numbers. Abe, how do you like this representation of Tassie? Look, Tassie, coming down for uh, for air, I mean, it is the place where, where fresh air is. Um, and interestingly, there's a lot of billboards around Tassie talking about the off-season, so encouraging locals to kind of venture out in the off-season, a season that's traditionally quiet in the wintertime. Everyone hibernates, it's cold, but it's some of the best time to get out in Tassie. On the weekend, I was at an old, a village, an old hydro-Tasmania village, uh, just established in the early 1900s called Taralea, almost the middle of nowhere, but it is absolutely breathtaking. And it was set up as part of the uh, hydro scheme to get water out of the Highland Lakes and force it down, essentially force the water down the huge drops of the mountains through pipes, and those pipes get narrower and narrower and narrower, and that water builds up huge pressure, and it generates, it makes the turbines spin to generate electricity. So Tasmania is 100% renewable energy, predominantly generated by hydro. And it's interesting, these, these, little, these villages were all set up in the early 1900s, massively bold scheme to build, But now, of course, once it's been built, you don't need to have workers there anymore living in harsh conditions. And so they turned into tourism ventures. Where I was staying on the weekend was this old, beautifully old, beautifully restored lodge uh, built in the 1910s where all the kind of the well-to-do, the high, the engineers, the politicians would come and, and stay, not the workers, while this scheme was being built. And it was an amazing place to stay. They had... They've rebuilt it. There's like 150 whiskies to choose from and beautiful open fires and luxury leather chairs. Not to say that I'm um, a luxury uh, first classer everywhere I go. What was funny is we were the only guests in the whole lodge and in the town it was completely deserted. It was like a bomb had gone off, like an apocalypse had happened. No one was there. We were the only ones around. It was so surreal. Well, that sounds like a tourism Tasmania fail right there. And I thought to myself, <laughs> we're in the off-season. Where are all the tourists? So, I mean, I was absolutely loving it. It was a beautiful place, but there was no one there. So, for me, I think it, the off-season message probably isn't getting uh, hit home as far as it possibly could. Well, the numbers say that, you know, tourism Tasmania recorded an increase of like 60% in visitors compared to the previous year. But do you think that's just a consequence then of general post-COVID desire to travel? Look, I think it is. Even within Tasmania, I know that when Tasmanians could travel internally, all of a sudden they travelled and bookings were up. I mean, the, the, the borders were still shut. This was a couple of years ago in that the mainlanders, air quotes, uh, weren't allowed in. But as soon as Tasmanians were allowed to travel, we just travelled. What long-term effects do you think the campaign might inspire? I mean, Tim, you're, you're someone who is 
enjoying and living in Tassie? What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I um, I found myself as as listening to you and said you're talking there. I was thinking of a piece that uh, uh, Mark Ritson, the uh, marketing columnist on Juan Tarrible, and uh, another fellow Tasmanian occupant, he wrote a piece right at the start of the pandemic when Tasmania closed its borders about how good this would be for brand Tasmania this sort of sense of purity the fact that not even covid's there so i um so you know i'm not sure whether that's had a long-term effect but certainly that was something he predicted Mm. and are the two of you noticing greater engagement with tassie businesses where you respectively live i mean we we, it's funny when you live in a local area you really only see what's happening around you locally so it's hard to tell, although there has been a lot of development where I live in a place where the, the spirit of Tasmania docks. So the, the ship that goes from Geelong to, uh, to Tasmania are taking passengers and cargo. They're the two ships that cross over and dock. And there has been more activity. There's been a, a new hotel, a lot of waterfront developments, really wanted to capture in on bringing tourists in and the natural beauty. So I think, I think there has been, but Tasmania really... Is it's like a mini New Zealand in that everything is green. There's hills, and not quite as green. The hills aren't quite as high as New Zealand. But I think we could do well to can to take a leaf out of New Zealand's book. And some of their marketing campaigns have been quite, um, quite offbeat, very clever. And I think I think Tasmania brand Tasmania has done that, and would continue can would do well to continue to do that because it's a pretty special place down here. Something else which um, I found myself wondering about listening to the uh, campaign there's been a big podcasting component if it, f- it sometimes felt like every single podcast i listen to has got some of the off-season advertising or um come down for air and i found myself wondering is this bad media buying and in fact this should be targeting mainlanders not me in tasmania at the time or is this actually a little bit of politics to make Tasmanian people realise that tourism in Tasmania are actually very active and they're working away? Um, and there's a sort of second reason for for that sort of uh, slight scatter of the advertising planning. So um, nobody would ever admit the real reason on that one. So we might have to wonder about that. Next, is outdoor company QMS up for grabs? Made. Over in the SMH in the Age this morning, there's talk of QMS being for sale. Tim, do you think there's a likelihood it could still happen? Yeah, um, look, I, I would say there's a near certainty that it will happen at some point. Um, now, one of the things to, you know, as our starting point is the owner of QMS uh, is Quadrant. And they're a private equity company. And the nature of most private equity companies is they buy at one price, they improve the business, and then they sell at another. So from that point of view, yeah, you know, it's a certainty that that's the plan. Now, um, you know, it's worth making the point that this this article in the Sydney Morning Herald on the Age does open with a denial from John O'Neill, the chief executive of QMS Media, um, which is always a bit of a story killer to open with a denial. Um, I, I I suspect the main issue is, although there have been some, uh, some rumours and stories going around, 
it will be very hard to capture what the company should be worth simply because the outdoor industry still hasn't fully bounced back from covid times certainly in valuations you know i i you know we we don't get many indicators of what outdoor companies are um are are actually worth in the public markets because the only one the only big one listed on the asx is o media and then there's a smaller one in motio as well and it's felt to me that both of them should be worth more simply because if you think about all the disruptive effects of digitization and how it's hurt television radio magazines newspapers out of home is the only one that's actually benefited because those digital billboards you can put a new message on you know several times a minute if you want to so suddenly there was a lot more inventory than existed before so um i suspect that the 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 denial from qms that they're in play right now um absolutely is true because the the valuation isn't there yet um you know, I, I, I think it'll be easier for the market to judge what QMS is worth once it's run its City of Sydney contract for a bit longer. Because although it writes a lot of revenue, it also has to give a lot of revenue to City of Sydney as well. Um, and then the other thing is, it was a single line from Quadrant, and they don't talk very publicly, they didn't in this one. But I remember about three or four years ago, the boss of Quadrant just said in an interview with the AFR that he really liked radio. So my little hunch, and I have written about this before, is that QMS would sit very naturally either with uh, an ARN media or maybe a Southern Cross or stereo. And that will be a really interesting looking company. Tim, you, you did mention the, the fact that digitization and, and disruption potentially could increase the value because there's you could put many messages a minute on a screen, but couldn't could I put to you that it wouldn't necessarily change because wouldn't the value of that media go down because there's more of it? Is kind of what happened with I guess digital publications in that in that the digital advertising was worth less than the printed ads. Yeah, that's a very fair argument and definitely part of the negotiation that would happen between advertiser and outdoor company but i think if you look at the value of a minute's worth of inventory even after you take that into account it's worth far more now than it was when it was static well that's it for today we'd love to hear what you think if you're still awake and haven't been lulled to sleep by tim's hypnotic deep voice at letters at unmade.media that's letters at unmade.media I'll be back tomorrow with Choose Data, looking at the state of the job market in the communications industry. That's for our paying members only. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. And there's a fortnight left to get your early bird tickets for Unmade's retail media conference in Sydney, Remade. Go to remade.net.au to save $108 on your ticket price, said ya. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Bye now. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.